The views and opinions expressed by the guests on the following program do not necessarily represent those of Mark Radio, The Shepherd, or its advertisers. From the studios of The Shepherd Radio Network, it's Afternoons with Mike. This next hour is all about our walk with Jesus with local pastors, newsmakers, people who are making a difference for the gospel. Now, here is your host, Mike Gilland. Hey there, everybody. Thank you for being with me on this Monday on Afternoons with Mike. So excited to have Sheree Phillips from the south part of Orlando. It's where you've been for some time now. But my goodness, Sheree, I know you way back to your Virginia days. And uh, you are part of, of the church. You've been on my program before. Yes. But you're part of a church called Redeemer. And uh, I know that so many things are going on with that, that we'll probably have to have you back on at some point to talk about later on this year. But you also began a counseling service and a, a kind of a business that, uh, that you're doing now professionally. I don't know how you did this, but all of the hard work that it takes to get your training, to get certified, to become uh, the, a legit counselor as you are, I don't know how you found the time to do it, but you did it. And congratulations. Well, thank you. And I'm actually still in process. So um, it's been a it's been a long but really life changing ride. It has been. Now, I know that as a pastor's wife, the idea of counseling is something that's part and parcel to that role. You've been doing that. It's like no surprise. You've been doing that for what? How many years now have you been in ministry with your husband, Benny? It's almost 50. Wow. Yeah. Can you believe it, Mike? Yeah. We're that old. I, well, I'm that old. I know. <laughs> yeah. When I think about it, I, uh, I've i been playing guitar for crying out loud for over 50 years wow. now. <laughs> That's why you're so good at it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I ought to be better after that much practice. You would think <laughs> I should be better. But uh, you guys, you're. it's really, really wonderful. I know that you were part of Metro Life Church and then was, was sent out to start this church called Redeemer. And uh, I know there have been some changes. COVID really impacted all of our churches and uh, no no different for Redeemer. But again, some big things are happening there and we'll have to have you back to talk. Maybe you and Benny to. can both be on mic yeah. when, when, you, when that happens. But uh, in, the, in the interim, and even in spite of the pandemic, you've, you've continued these studies and be, uh, as we said, began this counseling service. So tell us about that. Yes, Redeemer Counseling Group was born out of honestly a lot of some personal crises in our lives. Mike, as you know, uh, as a pastor and his wife, we've been through some hard stuff yeah. in, in ministry context. Both personally and then helping other people. I mean, it's difficult. Exactly. And it's something that pastors and wives don't really talk about a lot uh, the compassion fatigue that can set in and the impact that ministry demands have on a marriage. So Benny and I hit some rough spots about nine or 10 years ago in Mm -hmm. our relationship. And thankfully we had been involved with the Christian counseling and educational foundation. You're familiar with David Pallison and uh, Paul David Tripp and the rest. And so we had them to turn to. And so we started getting marriage counseling from one of their incredible staff counselors that was extremely helpful. And during that time, providentially, I had also decided to take the first of what has become many counseling courses, but with no intent to become a counselor. Oh, so from the beginning, it wasn't an aim necessarily that you were going to be a professional counselor. No, it was the ministry and personal crises that I was facing. And their their first course, which is a prereq to everything they do, is called Dynamics of Biblical Change. Uh, by, I've taken that one. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it, I was in a place in my life where I was very aware of the chaos around me, but I was also experiencing a lot of heartache and chaos within me. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to understand what the process of change and growth and hope looked like for me personally. Mm-hmm. So taking that course sort of gave me the itch to continue taking courses because these courses were helping me to engage with the sin and the suffering in my own life. Mm -hmm. 
At- now, as you say that, let's uh, pausing on that, the sin and suffering in your own life. So many Christians uh, are would be surprised, I think, when they hear that kind of a phrase coming from a pastor's wife. And, and I think many of them would say, and I know they mean well when they say it, they would say, well, but you're a believer. You're a Christian. Uh, God set you free from sin. And yet th- there's this reality of the fact that we are we're we're there and not yet either. <laughs> right, exactly. We're all, we're still a work in progress here, friends, and that that kind of reality reckoning in your own heart it, that's something that has to be done. Yes, because even though we are forgiven of every past, present, and future sin because of what Christ did, we are still, like you said, in process. There's yeah. a there's still sin lurking within our hearts, and the Bible teaches that very clearly that mm-hmm. our, our biggest enemy is our own sin, mm-hmm. but we're also sufferers. And I think a lot of the church in the past has focused um, almost exclusively on our sin mm-hmm. and not take into account that we're also saints and we're also sufferers. And so that a lot of the suffering that I had experienced prior to and after our move to Florida and, you know, you and Cindy have been a part of our lives through all of that. Um, exposed not only a lot of heartache and unresolved pain and issues that I had experienced Mm -hmm. that I really never processed, but it also exposed my sin. Like David Pallison talks about the sponge, right? Mm -hmm. The heart is a sponge. And when it gets squeezed, sometimes nasty stuff comes out. Yep. I love the story he gave, and I'll never forget seeing it standing behind the pulpit with a a glass of water half full and he takes his fist and he pounds it into that glass and water spills out on the floor. And, uh, you know, it was a vivid, he asked the question, why did that water spill? And I think all of us, all of us answered the question, probably in our hearts, well, that's because you hit it with your fist. <laughs> right. But the true reason is because there was water to spill. Yes. And we all have that reality that there is stuff to deal with in our own hearts. Right. And if we don't realize that, if we don't act like it's there, uh, that is as crazy as hitting a half full glass of water and being surprised that something spills out. It's there. I remember what Terry Virgo said years ago. He said, God set us free from reigning sin, but not from remaining sin. Yes. Oh, that's right. I remember, I, I remember that. That, that quote. It was so meaningful and helpful to yes. help us deal with that. And as I begin to engage further with both the sin and the suffering in my life, Mike, a really interesting thing started happening. I started noticing differences in the way I talked with my grandchildren or how I would interact with my adult children or people in our church where I approach, I started approaching people more with curiosity than judgment because when you've known somebody a long time, you think you know what's going on with them. You think you know what's motivating mm-hmm. them. You think what's you know what's going on and why they do or say or don't do and say things. But I was learning through this wonderful training and counseling that I was getting that we're much more complicated than we appear. Or and, want to admit. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so as I started understanding my own heart and the complexities there, and the, the part that suffering had played in my life and the depth of disappointment and pain and shame that I was dealing with, then I started noticing, wow, I'm, I'm interacting with other people differently. Mm-hmm. I had been receiving tools. I didn't just have a hammer and a screwdriver in my tool belt. There was all kinds of tools now that I'm gaining mm-hmm. through being curious and growing and listening and exuding compassion and empathy and, and more varied ways than I had in the past. And that's what got me interested in, well, I wonder if there are people out there who would benefit from this kind of ministry. You know, I'm wondering, do you think that the church in the generation prior to ours would have had maybe a one-size-fits-all type of approach 
to dealing with things. Do you think that would be accurate to say it like that? Absolutely. Because I think, I don't know about in your experience, but certainly in my experience, anything that was counseling related or had a quote therapeutic bent to it was looked at with, I think, a right amount of suspicion, but at times an overly suspicious attitude. Mm -hmm. If anything, if if people were in, in any way interested in seeing a therapist or a counselor, or if they were taking you know, any kind of uh, medications to help with anxiety or depression, that there was such suspicion that approached that whole field of study Yes, yes. that I think we just wanted to find that quick and easy answer. If you struggle with anger, well, here's some verses that you can look at in the Bible and maybe memorize, and you just need to stop being angry. Mm Mm-hmm. As opposed to understanding that anger, for example, is a way to mask either fear or sadness. And sometimes our anger makes us feel strong and competent, whereas our sadness and fear makes us feel weak Mm -hmm. and needy. Mm -hmm. And so understanding, I did a podcast a few months back called The Story Behind the Story, that there's always just like... um, with anger, there's things happening in our lives that seem like, oh, we just need to stop that. When really there's a story behind the story that once we engage with that and understand what's really going on in our hearts, the path forward is full of hope and growth. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. Now, the culture that we're in right now, the young people, especially in the culture, seem to be delving into this story behind the story concept. And that can be, uh, I guess in some ways, that can be a wonderful thing. In other ways, if you get off into the wrong story behind the story, it can lead you down a trail that is maybe more um, me-focused and and like situation problem-focused. Would you agree with that? Yeah, that's a really good point. Because it all has to do with what is our end goal. Mm Mm-hmm. If our end goal is to find other people to blame for our problems, or if our end goal is to kind of marinate in our in the past and how we were mistreated and, and many of us were, then that's a problem. But if our end goal is to be like Jesus, if our end goal is growth and transformation and becoming more Christ-like, then we're not going to get stuck in that me-centered approach to blaming the past and others for why we are the way we are, rather than seeing those experiences as a shaping influence, which they were, Mm -hmm. we see them as a determinative influence and an excuse for why we're the way we are. You know, this whole thing about a victim, being a victim, a mentality that would tell you well, you are the way you are because you're a victim and it's not really your fault. That's not really a helpful way because in some ways we're all victims of our own our own doing, if you will. I mean, we've gotten ourselves into more trouble <laughs> by by what we've chosen, right. by the, the, the wiles of our own heart. That's true. Uh, that, that we're all victims in that sense. So there's no one that's not, but we it, it is so helpful if we can take a, a reality check and say, okay, I know I'm a player in this, but what am I not seeing? Right. And if we're all victims, none of us are victims. Right. So if we all have a victim mentality, then what about those people who have been sexually abused as children or who are struggling struggling with heavy addictions because of the upbringing that they experienced being raised by an addictive parent? Mm-hmm. There are true victims of crime and of, of attack and abuse. And so if, if I call myself a victim, then what does that say to the person I'm counseling who was mistreated by a family member and abused when they were six years old and had no control or a person who experienced a very traumatic uh, situation of, of, of a loss of someone by murder or their house caught on fire. I mean, there's real trauma and there's real victims that if we're all a victim, then we trivialize those out there who truly are victims. Right. Those lines get blurred yes. and, and you can't use the same term 
for such amazingly different scenarios as what you're describing. Exactly. But you think about, we, we have a friend whose parent was murdered. Mm-hmm. And I, I think back to that every now and then and realize I was there. I was in the parking lot outside of the loca- location where that happened. I'll never forget those moments of realizing that she was gone. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the daughter could not go in to see her own mother. And to think that we would think a, a, a disappointment uh, that I don't know what kind of problem it would be, but much more minor than that is in the same category as what my friend went through is not to do service to her. It's really not to do service to us either. Right. Because, because, because we're just, we're making it uh, again, a one size fit all. Right. And we, and, and the beauty of counseling is counseling is different than giving advice. Uh, Mike, you were a pastor for years, a wonderful pastor. And so you you know the difference between counseling and advice giving. And I know for us, for Benny and I in the past, we, we viewed ministry to people much more in the advice giving arena of people coming and saying, oh, I'm struggling with this, or we're having these problems in our marriage. And so the solution was more, well, why don't you try this? You need to have more regular date nights, or you need to um, communicate better with one another, rather than counseling, which is coming alongside people and going through a process with them of discovering, where is God active in your life? Mm. Where is God moving in your marriage? Not just focusing on the problems, but on the grace that's also alive there, even in a marriage that's really struggling and off the rails. If this is a believer, God is at work. God is working in your relationship. So where can we discover where God is at work and where there are weaknesses and and issues that you need to deal with, like we all do as married couples? And how can we come alongside of you rather than just sharing advice with you about what's worked for us. You know, that's one of the things I love about studying theology is that you get concepts when you study theology, like, for example, what you just said, coming alongside. Well, one of the beautiful things about the Holy Spirit is he's referred to as the paraclete, Mm. the one who is walking alongside us, the one who is living right beside us and even in us. And going through life with us, that makes a big difference if a person who's receiving not just advice, but counseling from someone, if they perceive that your heart, as you listen to them and you offer these things from the scripture, if they perceive that you're walking alongside them, it makes all the difference in the world. Yes. Some people call counseling paid friendship. Wow. And they're because of the the way churches are very constructed around ministries uh, now and personalities as opposed to community. Christians are finding that even when the context of their own family or their own church, they're just not able to open up and share vulnerably about what's going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. And so people um, and Ed Welch talks about approximately 90 percent of people's struggles and problems and issues can really be helped by a good friend. Right. Just a good friend. Yes. Yeah. Who will listen and care and ask questions and come alongside. But there is that 10% evolving, involving abuse or addiction or chronic battles with sin and suffering where a quote professional is needed. But Mike, you and I have been privileged to be a part of churches in the past where we were able to come alongside one another yeah. and care for one another in situations like you're walking through right now and the mm-hmm. recent death of your mom and yeah. us talking just a few minutes ago and hearing your story and being able to empathize it and makes shed a difference. Some, some tears with you. Yeah. But a lot of churches aren't experienced that kind of community anymore. Well, let's pick that up after break because I think uh, that is something that we all need to look at and, and deal freshly about walking alongside each other. If you're wondering who this wise person is that's talking with me, it's Cherie Phillips, and she has a counseling or organization called... Redeemer Counseling Group. Redeemer Counseling Group. And we'll be back with her in a moment. This is Afternoons with Mike. 
It's the Redeemer Counseling Group. Sheree Phillips leads this, and she is a pastor's wife. She and Benny have been personal friends, my goodness, over 30 years, uh, I, a long time. We have known we've been up when you lived in Virginia. You had us to come up and visit you on vacation. So we've toured D.C. together. We've yes, toured we through Florida. We've laughed on uh, highway trips, <laughs> road trips. To conferences, and uh, I, I just want you to know our, our friendship with you uh, over the years has been such a meaningful thing. But we were talking at the end of our last segment about the whole thing about uh, of walking alongside someone and the role that plays in counseling. And one of the things that I want to be able to tell you and have you respond to is what I see in you, What what has been the secret sauce in your, uh, I think, effectiveness of talking to people has been this gift of mercy that God has given you. And it is a wonderful thing, the sincerity, the genuine care mm. that I believe people, when they talk with you, they get. I, I, I mean, even when we were standing in the hallway a while ago, I, I felt that personally from you. I'm so glad. So when, you know, when you realize that, you're doing something now, and I know it's a different, it's a next level type of counseling that you're doing, uh, more than what we would have done even as pastor, uh, church member kind of relationships. But when you're there and you have that God-given innate gifting to be able to walk alongside them and and not just, you're not just doing it because they're paying you to give them uh, ideas or advice this is true biblical counseling. Yes, and, I certainly hope so. <laughs> and and so as it's coming from a heart, I just personally believe it is it is just packaged in a wonderful way and makes it so much more meaningful to someone when they hear truth enveloped in love and care and compassion. Oh, Mike, thank you so much. Those are very humbling words because I would say that even though my mom talked about me at, you know, six or seven, you know, wanting to being, bring all the stray dogs and all the kids home. and <laughs> I can you know, only imagine. There was a, a time in my life where I think I was much more prone to see deficiencies in people than to see strengths or grace. And I remember being in my early 20s and going to a big conference, a, a Jesus festival. Remember the old oh, Jesus yeah, festival? Absolutely. And this was up in Virginia. And I went and I heard a man talk about Barnabas in the scriptures, the son of encouragement. And he exhorted us to become a Barnabas. Mm -hmm. And I took that to heart. And I wanted to become a Barnabas because I... I detected in my own self, well, God showed me about my own heart that I did tend to, to have a critical edge to me, even though I loved people, I cared about people, I, I still tended to see the glass half empty hmm. instead of half full. And so even though some of that, I think, comes very naturally to some people, pe some people are more of an empath than others, just that's the way God made them. But for me, it was something I also had to work really hard on. Mm -hmm. And as I learned to be that Barnabas who saw all the strengths in Paul, who saw all the good things in him, and then introduced him to the rest of the apostles and wanted them to accept this man who had been killing Christians and they were understandably afraid of, Barnabas saw something in Paul mm -hmm. that the others didn't see. And so... I wanted to become like that. And so for years, I put sticky notes everywhere by the phone, back when you had a phone that was on the wall. <laughs> yes. And then on the sun visor in my car and everywhere to encourage one another daily. It was everywhere. And so I so appreciate your kind words, but it was a mixture of some God-given gifting, but also some hard work. You know, I think hard work is always going to be part of it, even when there are our gifts involved. And I believe that those of us who have those kinds of gifts, you know, that doesn't, that doesn't free us, if you will, from the responsibility to apply what we're learning. And what you're talking about is the ability to change from a half empty kind of viewpoint to a, a glass half full. And, and so the fact that you recognize that there was a time in your life that wasn't 
wasn't happening. Right. But God helped you. And, you know, all change like that we know comes from the Lord. We don't have the ability to (laughs) just, just change our own heart in our own way when we're not looking. But God helps us. And I think that, too, is encouraging for someone to realize if they know Cherie Phillips, then they think of her as being someone who is positive and compassionate. And if they hear that there was a time frame where you had to overcome some negativity, I think that, too, becomes its own encouragement to them because they're saying if if she had to overcome that to become what she is today, then there's hope for me. Oh, I hope so. I think that is really, really true, and we need to see it that way. Now, there's a lot of counselors in the world, Cherie. There's a lot of different streams of thought. There are different approaches. What makes the kind of counseling you received from CCEF, what makes that different? You know, you're right. Just as there's doctors, there's all kinds of doctors that you can go to or all kinds of dentists you can see. Uh, that fit what your needs are. There's a, there's a lot of different counselors and even secular counselors who are not believers have insights into the human heart and the human soul and into s- suffering and, and hardship. And I think all counselors have the same goal mm-hmm. to help people identify solutions to problems. We go to a counselor because we have a problem and problems that are causing emotional distress or are affecting our relationships are problems that really need to be addressed. But biblical counseling finds the solution in Christ and in the scriptures. Secularists have been the ones doing the research for over a hundred years. And so we understand different psychiatric diagnoses, for example, because of the research that's been done by secularists for decades and decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we can identify a bipolar disorder, for example, not because of what's been done in the Christian community, right? And so the secularists have ways to diagnose things that are, that are often wise and rich. It's the solutions that where there's a breakdown. Isn't that uh, so true in just about every political discussion you could ever want to have? Good point. Because of the fact that if you remove the Bible from discussion of anything, whether it's counseling or politics or let's just say character development, any of those things, you remove the standard for what is good. Exactly. And you remove the hope. There's hope for sustained growth and change only in a relationship with Jesus Christ, where we as believers are given the indwelling power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. Mm, mm. And that power is not there with those who are looking at cognitive behavior therapy as much as there are aspects of that that are helpful. It's not in the change of behavior. It's not in changing our circumstances. It's not in divorcing this person and marrying a better one. Mm-hmm. The change is within our own hearts. It's, it's, and only God can change the heart. It is a lot of hard work. Jerry Bridges talks about sanctification being personal, vigorous effort anchored in the grace of God. Yes. Don't you love that? I love it. I loved everything Jerry Bridges ever said. I do believe. (laughs) He's one of my favorite authors. I love that. And I, I love another thing that he said that goes right along with this context is that we all have our good days and we all have our bad days. And Jerry Bridges in uh, the book, um, The Grace of God, uh, The Discipline of Grace, Mm -hmm. talks about the fact that on our best days, we are still shot through with sin, as he said. And I I liked what you said earlier, and I want to get back to this right now. Uh, People can hear that, and they can go two ways. They can just go into a, I'm a sinner, and woe is me, and there's no hope for me, and I'm just a worm. Or they can realize that, yeah, there is remaining stuff in us that needs to be dealt with. And that is a choice that uh, that we're not going to get help from the world. Uh, the world has conditioned us to, to think of only ourselves in those moments. That's what I believe. But we need to realize 
that there's truth to that, that that on our best days, we're still capable of saying mean things and doing... Exactly right. Maybe, maybe viewing things that are going on wrongly. And on our worst day, he says, we are never out of his grace. Yes. And what I, one of the things I love most about formal counseling is I get to have a front row seat into the change process that God does in a person's life. Oh, that's well said. I get to see the light go on at times, Mike. You've done, you've seen this in all your years of pastoring and caring for people. When you see that light go on, when you see that, yes, my sin is wrong and I need to change, but my sin is the target of the grace of God to change me from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And so in counseling, I get to see that process happen, sometimes over weeks, sometimes over months, occasionally over years, because counseling is hard. I hear the worst of stories. I met with a a young adolescent girl a few weeks ago and heard the most horrific stories about what she experienced as a child in her own home at the hands of her grandfather. Mm. So I get to, I I hear the the worst of the stories. Sometimes it's the first time the person has even shared the story. But then I also get to see Christ himself, the balm of Gilead, come and heal and restore and bring hope and redemption and a new path forward through the hard work that counseling requires. And if I weren't a Christian, I I don't know where I would get the hope. But as a believer, having the spirit of God and the word of God itself there as as tools for this struggling, hurting, broken person to get hope and help, it I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. You know, that's enough right there to give people who who have not been considering the Bible as the source of not just great teaching and maybe great stories, but really great counsel. The Bible, I mean, he is our comforter and he's wonderful counselor. One of the names of the Lord is that. And when you think about that, uh, it, it should be enough to say, it's almost like an aha moment for someone to realize I need to be looking in that source exactly. for hope because they're not going to find hope in most other streams, not even in counseling streams. Well, and it's really interesting, Mike. One of the things I've learned from CCEF is the importance of of looking into the into the surprise places in scripture where people can find hope. And an mm-hmm. example of that would be a lady I'm counseling is really struggling with um, feeling unseen to those around her, uh, gone through numerous breakups in, in her life, uh, really tragic things have happened to her relationally. And we're looking into the book of Ruth of all places mm. to find hope. Well, how does she find hope in an ancient story, a true story that happened thousands of years ago? She can find hope in reading this book and seeing how God noticed Ruth. He saw her in the fields. He moved on the heart of Boaz to let her glean with, mm-hmm. with the other women and, and, to, and to take home an abundance to, for her and her mother-in-law. God provided for her. He, he saw her. He, he led her into a relationship with Boaz. Uh, and they ended up getting married and being, you know, descended, Part of the lineage. right? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But here's a single woman in 2022, finding help and hope from an ancient story about a long dead woman who was the recipient of God's sight and God's provision and God's care. Yes. And she's locating herself in that story. You know, what's so beautiful about that, the reason that is true, it's not just that it's a great story, it's that the Word of God is alive. It may be a long, long time ago that Ruth actually lived, but the Lord is using that story today, today, because He's alive today. Yes. And working in us. Yes. 
It's a beautiful thing to watch the word of God, that living active word that you're talking about, come alive to people in a new way where maybe their, their familiarity with the Bible is the Bible stories that they heard in Sunday school about Noah and Jonah and Jesus rising from the dead and all of those, but not really seeing that the redemptive story that the Bible tells from Genesis and that will end when we're all together, mm-hmm. worshiping in his throne together is their story and that they can be a part of it and experience it and live it and relive it and get to know better the God who wrote that story and is writing theirs as a very part of it. And the, and the help that that gives to very practical areas of life, anger with children, difficulties, uh, adultery in marriage, difficult situations at work, neighbors who are driving you crazy, whatever. The Bible can come down. Mm -hmm. The God of the Bible comes down and meets us in those very everyday, ordinary, but hard aspects of our lives. You know, one of the reasons that I love the word so much is the fact that it does not sugarcoat the stories in the Bible about the individuals whose lives themselves were far from perfect. Yes. And I mean, even even you think of David, we, we talk often about King David and his being uh, a one who had his heart after God. And yet you realize what he did. He was capable of not only infidelity, uh, immorality, but murder. I mean, that's that's amazing. And yet if if David can change, if what was said of David in the book of Acts uh, could be said of David then we know that our lives have that same level of hope. Yes, they it, they really do, Mike. And we are privileged to know a couple who uh, came to us about four years ago. He was struggling with meth addiction and really wanted to, to get out of that lifestyle and that lifestyle of deceit and lying and hurting his family on top of drug addiction and uh, abuse. And today, four years later, he's a small group leader in their church. Wow. And... His pastor has him on an advisory committee to help with uh, decisions about the church. And it's because, I mean, he had been through therapy and I'm I'm not saying anything against the therapy that he received, but what he didn't receive was the hope that was found in the gospel. And that's what does it. Yes. The work of the spirit in his life. It was a long process. This took several years Mm -hmm. and he, you know, they would be the first to say that their marriage isn't perfect and they struggle with common things that married, married people struggle with, but his life is being redeemed by the activity of God's word and God's spirit. And that's a good word for you. Redeemed. I like it. Redeemer counseling group. Sheree Phillips is my guest. We'll be back with one more segment coming up right here on Afternoons with Mike. My guest today in the studio is Cherie Phillips. Cherie, uh, married to Benny, known them for years and years, really close friends for about 35 years or more. And it is really hard to believe that the time has clicked by like that. But uh, we have a lot of life stories that we've shared, a lot of laughs, a lot of cries together. Uh, uh, We've seen some of the best things in life. And we've seen some of the most disappointing things that anyone has to go through. And through it all, the mark of a good friend is someone who comes out on the other side with their friendship strengthened and fortified. And I believe that's true about us. We feel that way about you. I am, uh, even though we're not any longer part of the same fellowship, uh, I regularly hear from you and see words that you've spoken on uh, a social media that are so helpful and so wonderful. Well, thank and, you, Mike. Uh, it, it really means a lot. I've been able to see your family grow and uh, your boys mean the world to me. I've worked closely with most of them. Yes, you have. Yeah. You've, you've had them on the stage playing some instrument. <laughs> yeah, something, either working on the guitar. Or I didn't help Jesse on that piano. He he <laughs> he kind of took all off on, on his own on that. But my goodness, uh, I I just love your family. Uh, Having Jake up in Gainesville when I was uh, living in Gainesville, Jake and Sarah. Now, he doesn't call her Sarah. He calls her Caroline. That's her middle name. He calls her Caroline. I'm always always, uh, unexpectedly 
surprised by that. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, why? What? I've known Sarah since she was born. And so <laughs> she's Caroline to Jake. But the two of them lived in Gainesville, uh, both part of, um, of that whole community. And Jake getting his uh, law degree there. Uh, my goodness, we had a blast with them. Oh, he loved it. They both did. Coming over to our house most every Sunday night and watching Downton Abbey and uh, other That's things right. on TV and just laughing together again. Just what rich fellowship and memories having you guys come up and see us in Gainesville was awesome. And we were so excited when you were coming back to Orlando. Oh, yeah. Night. In 2019. So here we are. It's almost three years now. Wow. Can't believe it. So I have a question. You know, you mentioned it. We've just walked through uh, another death in our family. This one, my mom, two months earlier to the day, Cindy's dad, uh, people who go through grief, uh, they go through a very special, unexpected level of emotion and a sorrow that happens, it's its natural. Death is part of life. Right. And I think we forget that. I, I know that it's not easy to remember that, especially when you've lost that. But this is all part of living. It's appointed to us all to not only to live, those of us that are privileged to be born, but that same kind of appointment has been set for when the end of our earthly days will happen. And it's interesting, Mike, because even though we know it's a part of life, one of the things that I've personally learned about grief after having lost both of my parents and all of my grandparents and two of my brothers, that even though it's expected, it still takes us off guard. Yeah, it does. Because it's not right. It's not the way it was meant to be. We weren't meant to die. Mm -hmm. We were meant to live forever. And then sin came the and fall. messed all yeah. that up. Thank and, you, Adam and Eve. Yeah. And so we, there's still, there's something about getting that call or getting that notification or watching that person leave this earth that we think that this isn't right. This mm-hmm. isn't the way it's meant to be. And so grief has a perplexity that comes with it, as well as one of the things I've I've noticed in my own life and with people I counsel that grief also is layered a lot of time with regret. Yes, I agree. I've seen that too. And so it might be the regret of, oh, why didn't I return that last phone call? I didn't know it was going to be the last phone call. Or why didn't I make that trip? Or in some cases, now this wouldn't be the case in your life, which I'm so grateful for, but people who lost contact with their parent or their grandparent or their sibling or their friend. And so there's this grief in the sense of loss can also carry a a bit of shame with it. Mm -hmm. And in the regret of, I wish things had been different, or I wish I had responded to that text or that phone call and I didn't. And so I'm so grateful that, that that's not what you're struggling with because I, I saw and heard about your relationship with your mom and Cindy's relationship with her dad. Yeah. But that's not always the case. It's not. And it's not to say that I don't have any levels of regrets because in in fact, my last conversation with my mom happened uh, in a way, you you know, I love, there's a song out right now by uh, Casting Crowns called Scars in Heaven is the name of it. Have you heard that? Okay. Uh, The opening line of verse one is something that I can tell you I I deal with. If I had only known the last time would be the last time. Mm. So when I made that, what now turns out to be my last phone call and my last real good conversation with my mom, that came at a day where I felt like I was several days late making it. Mm. I have, I had been feeling in my heart, I need to call mom. I it's, it's been a, a couple of days. Uh, it's been, it's been actually over a week since I've talked with her. I need to call her. And I know that I put that off at least three days that I, you know, I I look back at that and I wish had I known, Mm. but, but she was in great health. We we thought she was going to be with us. She thought she was going to make it to a hundred and we believed her. 
Mm-hmm. You know, we bought in on that, <laughs> but she didn't. So, you know, I can't say that I'm without any regret, but I'm not the, I'm not with the morbid regret that I believe a lot of people who have been estranged with their parents and now they can n- no longer go back and correct that estrangement. That I, is a horrible place to be. Oh, it's awful. And I talk with people who are in- have experienced that even as long as 10 or 20 or even 30 years ago. And that, that haunting regret and shame is still there. And that's, that brings us to another aspect of grief, which is it's meant to be experienced in community. That's so what, good. that's what funerals yeah. are historically for is to get people together to mourn together. And back in the day and, you know, and, and even in other uh, countries to this day, people are paid to come and mourn wow. at the funeral because there's something about shared mourning mm. that is so healing. And I, I hurt for people who grieve alone. The gr- grief is bad enough, but grieving alone or, or holding the shame of your grief, the regret of your grief inside is just so it's just so awful and there's such loneliness and heartache in that Mm -hmm. and i'm very grateful that you and cindy having lost both of your parents in the past couple of months are in a community not what just just with your amazing children who are wonderful Mm -hmm. people and you all support one another and love one another and go through life with one another but you're in a church where grief is shared. Yep. But even in the context of the church, oftentimes there's not the type of openness and vulnerability and, uh, and context. There's just not a context to share stories and memories and things that happen. I, uh, Mike, I'm thinking yeah. about when Benny and I moved to, uh, become a part of Metro Life Church 22 years ago. 22 years ago. Wow. Uh, about a week after I moved, I don't know if you remember, but I lost my mom. I do. I remember. And one of the hardest things about that for me was I was in a new city. You just made the church. move. Yeah. We had moved days before. Yeah. And nobody knew my mom. Yeah. So there was, there wasn't, people were caring they were loving, but there just wasn't that shared grief. If, if you all had known my mom, you would have been grieving right along with mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. because of the impact that she made on people yeah. and how beloved she was. And we grieved as a family, but it was the loneliness of grief can really deepen the experience for people. And so for those out there who are grieving, Please find a group of people that you can grieve with and a wonderful ministry that you can look for is called Grief Share. Mm. It's a ministry by Nancy Guthrie and her husband, Steve, and it's a video series that you get together with other grieving people and share. And I thought it was going to be weird to get together with a group of people that I didn't know and grieve over the loss of my brother three years ago. But I found and it's offered in churches all over. So all you have to do is go online and, and Google grief share and your city and you can find a group of people. And I went into this group. I'd never met any of these people, all different ages, all different losses that they'd have experienced from a newborn baby to an elderly grandmother. And we walked through the process of grief together. That's wonderful. You know, I, I uh, know what our church had the last term, a, a community group that was just like that. It was uh, led by a, a woman who had uh, basically just lost unexpectedly her husband about a year earlier and realized that she was not the only one that was going through grieving. And a number of people in the church went to a class and did exactly what you're talking about. That's exactly what yeah. the church needs to offer not only to grieving people, but to, for example, this morning on my podcast, I interviewed our our friends, Tom and Debbie, mm-hmm. about their precious special needs grandson. 
And so the special needs community is, is a whole other community of people within churches that need care and, and warmth and service and support. And so the church is a great place for this kind of ministry to happen. And I'm so glad that your church has offered that kind of thing to grieving people. Well, it's a real help. And thank you for your kind words. And I know those that are going through grieving right now that hears that, that would hear that, they're going to be encouraged. And we have to remember, he is the wonderful counselor. The Holy Spirit is there to comfort. In a way, there was a song, Cherie, years ago, Uh, I heard the title, I don't remember if this is the exact title, I think it is, A Very Special Kind of Grace, Mm. that there is a a kind of grace that God gives in the moment of comfort when we lose someone dear to us that is unlike any other time. So Uh, true. It is so helpful. You mentioned your podcast, we got just enough time. Tell us about it. Oh, why does a 67-year-old woman start a podcast? That's that's the question. Um, My children, who you all know, know, my kids, and they're all fairly technical. And so they've been after me uh, to get a podcast going. And this podcast is called Counseling Over Coffee. And I chose Great name. I chose that name because I'm gonna tip my coffee cup to you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I chose it because the idea is counseling, which is simply a a heightened level of friendship and care, uh, unless you get into the professional room of confession, professional realm, excuse me, um, happens over coffee. It happens sitting on your couch in your living room. It happens in the lobby at the church building on Sunday morning. Uh, It's, it's ordinary. It's every day. It's giving the hope and the grace of Christ to people who are hurting, Mm. people who are struggling, people who are sad or disappointed or grieving. And so counseling over coffee is my attempt to take the things that I've learned uh, in my 10 years of study with CCEF and making it applicable in real life ways, but one Christian to another or one Christian to a Mm non-Christian. And so I talk about everything from how to grow in listening and how to grow in compassion and empathy, like we talked about earlier, to how to care for families of special needs children or those who are grieving. And so counseling over coffee, it's it's basically just a conversation, mm-hmm. just like you and I are having. I love it. Counseling over coffee, available on most podcast services? Yeah, uh, I know it's on uh, iTunes, Spotify, mm-hmm. and Stitcher. Okay, there you go. Fred. Check it out. It's worth checking out. Cherie Phillips, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I Any opportunity to see you is a joy, well, but thank this you. has been a lot of fun. It thank has you. been a lot of fun, and I trust a lot of help to our listeners as well. And we'll see you all next time, tomorrow, right here on Afternoons with Mike.